Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. King Belshazzar, he sat on his throne and he looked at the thousand people in front of him and oh, this was great. They were all drinking and reveling and eating great food and drinking great wine. And he probably looked over at his queen, who was also probably drinking next to him. And and he looked over at the other people around him, and they're all just partying away. As it says there in Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar is throwing a feast for a thousand people. (laughs) Now, that's pretty small by Persian standards. Persians would often have parties of at least 15,000 people, one of the largest being nearly 70,000 people all partying at a banquet. Well, Belshazzar, he's throwing a party for a thousand people and they are getting drunk and having a great time. And they're doing it for a reason, I think, too, because King Belshazzar, he is throwing a feast right there in the city of Babylon at that very moment... Babylon is being slowly surrounded and besieged by the army of the Medes and the Persians. And it's like Belshazzar is saying, hey, I know there's an army outside. I know that they are threatening us. But you know what? I am so unafraid. I am going to throw a party. And as he gets drunk and as he looks around, he's thinking, I have no fear at all. Number one, because the city of Babylon, it is impenetrable. You can't get in here. Now, remember, I told you earlier, right? The city of Babylon is 15 miles square. It's this massive city. It has walls 87 feet thick. 350 feet high, and on top of that, they have towers another 100 feet high, 450 feet up there, and they can see for miles. So anything that the Medes and the Persians want to do, they can't do. They're going to see it. These walls are massive and thick. And then they've got the river Euphrates running right through it. They've got all the water they want, and it says, historians say, that in light of the siege, that the Babylonians had stored up to 20 years worth of food. They had enough food to last inside of that city for 20 years. And here, King Belshazzar is throwing a feast with some of the food. That's how much food they have. He is not afraid at all. Then he's thinking, you know what, when I think back to my grandfather Nebuchadnezzar and all the great things we have done, our gods are way better than the Medes and the Persians' gods. In fact, I remember my grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, he went all the way to Jerusalem and 
he raided that temple of that god there. What was its name? Yahweh or something like that. And, and, and he took back all the goblets and all the bowls and all the artifacts devoted and worshipped to that god and brought it to our temple. And guess what? Our god Marduk is better than that god. Our god Naboo is better than that god. And then Belshazzar thinks... I've got to praise that God. I've got to do something wonderful for our gods. Yes. Now remember, he's drunk. He's out of his mind. He's full of pride. But he gives a command. He says, I want you, says there in Daniel chapter 5, to get all the artifacts devoted to the worship of that God, Yahweh. I want you to bring it all from the temple, and I want you to bring it all here so that we can worship our God. And so somebody went and got it. As it says there in verse 3, they brought in golden vessels that were devoted to the one true God, Yahweh. They brought in silver bowls, and they brought it all the way to this partay, and they started to pour wine into it, and they drank out of it, and they began to worship what the Bible says God's made of bronze and iron gods that weren't real and they used stuff devoted to the one true god yahweh to worship false gods and it says when they did that all of a sudden i can imagine in this beautiful banquet hall with huge golden lampstands all around the place, lighting everything so that everybody can see the food they're eating and they're partying, yay! And the front of them all is the king with his queen and behind the king is this beautiful lampstand because they wanted the king to be the center of attention. And so you're going to put this lampstand that helps light the whole room. You're going to put it right by the king so that he shines the brightest. He can see his food. Everybody knows it's King Belshazzar. We're celebrating. This is great. You're going to put this massive lampstand right there. And everybody's partying and worshiping their other gods. And then they they see it. <gasps> and I can imagine the, 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 the look on their faces as they see it. <gasps> And somebody screams, what is that? Ah! And they begin to scream. And Belshazzar, I can imagine, is facing the party. And he doesn't know what's happening behind him. And he's thinking, what? What is this? Hey, is this a new form of partying? Yeah, oh no, what? No, they seem afraid. What? What, what is it? And he turns around and he sees, he sees something so terrifying. It says in Daniel chapter 5 that, this thing that he sees scares him so badly that his, his countenance is drained of all blood. His face loses its color. It says literally that his knees knock together. That's how scared he is. And basically he falls to the floor completely, utterly afraid by what he has just seen. And he looks and he's scared. And what does he see? He sees a hand. Now it says in Daniel chapter 5 that what they see are the fingers of a human hand. 
Now, some people think it was the fingers of a human hand holding like a quill or a pen or whatever writing utensil they had, writing something there on the plaster on the wall behind him. I think it was just the hands. It just says the fingers of a human hand. And can you imagine fingers running all over that wall like a spider? Like some creepy... I mean, this was a scary sight. And as he's, the hands are running back, the hand is running back and forth. As the fingers are running across that wall. Or maybe it was just one big finger writing in the plaster on the wall. Well, it says fingers of a human hand. And I can imagine these fingers of a human hand running back and forth across the wall and the plaster and everybody is scared to death they've dropped those bowls and they've dropped everything and they're staring at what is being written and and king belshazzar looks at it and you can imagine again it's dark the only light is by these lampstands and this hand is creepily writing this this message in the plaster on the wall and then whoosh, hand is gone and they look at the writing on the wall and and they're like i i, I don't know what it means there's 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 word 1 there's word 2 there's word 3 there's there's four words written on the wall four words what does it mean and he looks around at all the people and we were just reveling yay hey everything's fine go back to eating no he can't say that because this is truly frightening so he says all right hey i want all the best astrologer call in the wise men call in the magicians call in the chaldeans he calls in the wise men class have these guys been helpful in the past? No. Were they good in chapter one? No. Were they helpful in chapter two? No. Were they helpful in chapter three or four? No. But guess what? Belshazzar calls them in again. And they look at the writing on the wall. In fact, he even gives them an incentive. He says, if you can tell me what these four words mean, I'm going to give you a purple robe, which is pretty fancy back then, you know. I'm going to give you a gold chain, real gold chain. And on top of that, I'm going to make you third in the kingdom. You are going to be right behind King Nabonidus, me, and then you will be third in the kingdom if you can tell me what that means. Men looked at it. They were like, I can't tell what it means. Now, maybe some of them were drunk from partying right there with everybody else. And, you know, I'm not really seeing stuff straight. And and I think it's because God obscured their vision, maybe. They couldn't tell what those words mean. And maybe it was written in a, in a different sort of script, a, a God-type handwriting that, that makes no sense to the human eye. And they're like, I don't know what is happening. And they have the best incentive in the world. They could even lie and make something up, but none of them could work out what these four words mean and people started to cry out and to complain and to get nervous and all this noise eventually in walks it says in daniel chapter 5 the queen now a better translation of that word would be like the queen mother comes in now this is the mother of king belshazzar 
she looks around at all the screaming and all the yelling and she, this is probably an old lady maybe you know in her 70s herself and she looks around and she's like oh great king if you really want this answered if you want to know what those four words mean you can't talk to these guys you've got to bring in wait for it drum roll please daniel you've got to bring in daniel because it says there in daniel chapter 5 he has a spirit of the gods in him she says in him is light and wisdom and he sees things and can interpret things and you got to get daniel now king belshazzar he'd seen daniel around you know and he'd heard of Daniel and how he'd probably hung on to the throne while Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, went insane for seven years and thought he was an animal. And then he got his wisdom back and he ruled for a little bit. And Daniel was a favorite of King Nebuchadnezzar's grandfather. He knew all that. And so he says, all right, bring him in. And in comes Daniel. Now, the cool thing was, is number one, Daniel wasn't in that party, you know. This was a bad party. Lots of bad, immoral things happening at this party. And they had to call Daniel in to get him there. He was not participating in that stuff. And when Daniel walks in, at this point, Daniel is probably in his 80s. Daniel chapter 5 took place about 70 years after Daniel chapter 1. After Daniel was kidnapped from Jerusalem and hauled into Babylon, about 70 years from Daniel chapter 1 to the events in Daniel chapter 5 had occurred. It's been about 20 to 25 years since the events in chapter 4 where King Nebuchadnezzar had thought he was an animal and then regained his wisdom and his thinking all the way to now. It had been about 23, 25 years had passed. And Daniel is in his 80s. And King Belshazzar, he's been ignoring him this whole time. He hasn't really thought about him. See, King Nebuchadnezzar, after he regained his thought and his wisdom, he had reigned for a little bit and then he'd passed away. Well, after that, Nebuchadnezzar's son took over and as the coolest name in the world, if you want to be a bad guy, Evil Merodach. I mean, that is a great bad guy's name. He ruled for two years, and then evil Merodach, just like his name suggests, was murdered in August. Then the kingship went to a guy named Neri Glisser. They had the weirdest names back then. So Nebuchadnezzar, his son took over after he died, named evil Merodach. He reigned for two years, and then he was murdered by Neri Glisser. And Neri Glisser, guess what? Is Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law, evil Merodach's own brother-in-law. Neri Glisser then rules for four years, and then he dies. I think he dies normally. He just dies from old age or dies from illness or something. Then his son, Labashi Marduk, he reigns for a glorious two months before he is assassinated he's literally beaten to death and succeeded by this guy named Nabonidus and Nabonidus reigns for 17 years 
and he's currently reigning when King Belshazzar is reigning. How does that work? Well, Nabonidus, he was a guy who, he wasn't really, you know, a, a person who really felt like he was king, it seems like. You know, he didn't come from Nebuchadnezzar's line. He sort of came into it, and he was sort of intimidated to be king, though he wanted to be king. So what he did was he married one of Nebuchadnezzar's widows or or one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters, and so he married into the line, and so he sort of got that power from marrying in, though he wasn't a true descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, so he was always intimidated by that. But the woman he married already had a son named Belshazzar, who he adopted. Well, Nabonidus... He was really interested in religion. And it seems like under Nabonidus, for his 17-year reign, the glory of Babylon was restored a little bit. They won some more battles. And Nabonidus was really interested in rebuilding some of the temples. And he spent 10 to 14 years of his 17-year reign not in the city of Babylon, but out probably at some religious sites or some cities in Arabia. He did not spend time in Babylon for 10 to 14 years of his 17-year reign. He never showed up in Babylon. He was out doing other things. And so while he was gone, he said, All right, son, I'm going to make you co-regent. King Belshazzar, you are going to reign in Babylon in my stead. And, well, this is where we meet King Belshazzar. And he's reigning for his dad, but he is an arrogant man who loves himself, who did things for his own glory. He was a man who did very immoral things, and and he didn't really care about what had gone on before him. He just sort of did his own thing, and as he did his own thing, I think Daniel slowly, slowly faded into the background, you know? So, when he calls Daniel at this feast, he probably hadn't talked to Daniel for years, but he knew of him. In fact, when he comes in, he says, hey, aren't you one of those exiles from Israel? Aren't you one of those Jewish exiles? He sort of rubs it in his face a little. You know, you're not really a Babylonian. You're really not one of us, right? Now, remember, Daniel's 80. And by this time, when you're that old, I just don't think you care anymore, you know? He stood up to kings when he was a kid back in chapter 1. He's seen his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stand up to Nebuchadnezzar, be thrown in a fiery furnace. He's not afraid of rulers. He's not even afraid of great rulers. He's definitely not going to be afraid of this little snively ruler. And he says, I can interpret it. But let me tell you something first. And in Daniel chapter 5, he tells him this. He says, your father, which basically means your grandfather, the great King Nebuchadnezzar who came before you, he was also puffed up in pride. And he thought he was great. But little did he know that it was Yahweh who raises up kings and tears them down. Your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, he could kill who he wanted to. He could save who he wanted to. All power was in his hands and he let it get to his head. And then Yahweh, the Almighty, the Sovereign, the true God of heaven and earth, 
He humbled your grandfather. He made him act and think he was a, an animal, a wolf, a cow, whatever animal he thought he was for seven years. He humbled him and he kept him humble until finally Nebuchadnezzar came to the point where he realized that Yahweh is the one true God and all power and all might comes from him. And you know that writing on that wall, King Belshazzar? It's your judgment. This is God saying to you that your pride is going to destroy you. I am tired of your pride and judgment is coming. He says, those four words are this. He says, the first two words are this. Meany, meany. You know what those words mean, Belshazzar? Belshazzar probably looked at him and go, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. And Daniel says, you know what those words mean? Meany, meany. Numbered, numbered. Your days are numbered, King Belshazzar. Your, your kingdom, your throne, the Babylonian Empire is about to fade away into history. Your days are numbered. And the third word, so the first two are meany, meany, and that third word is tekel, T-E-K-E-L, tekel. You know what that means, King? That means weighed. Numbered, numbered, weighed. You have been weighed, King Belshazzar, and you have been found wanting. You do not match up. You do not equate. See, back then, if you wanted to pay for something, they would take your money and they would weigh it to make sure it was real gold or real silver. And to make sure it was the right weight, they would put another weight on the other side of the scale and it would balance out saying, yeah, yep, that is how much gold weighs. And yes, this is true money. We'll take it. But if it went up, boop, and your and, and maybe the weight went down and your gold went up, whoop, oh, it is not the right weight at all. Something is wrong here. You've been weighed in the balance and your money is found wanting. This isn't right. And he's saying it's the same thing with you, Belshazzar. You've been weighed in the balance of God's judgment and clunk. You've been found wanting. You are a light weight. Meany, meany, numbered, numbered, tackle, weighed. And then that fourth word, O king, uparshin, literally means divided. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. You know what that means, king? This beautiful kingdom you see here, the Babylonian Empire is going to be divided amongst the Medo-Persian Empire, which is at your door right now. You are numbered, you're numbered, you're weighed, and this kingdom and you are going to be divided. And at that, Daniel drops the mic. Boom. King Belshazzar. He looks at him, you know, and I, I think at that point, you know, you'd be so enraged and so angry, you'd chop his head off or something. No, instead, you know what the king does? 
He calls for the royal robes and he puts the beautiful purple robe on him. He calls for the gold chain, puts the gold chain on him, and he is put third in command. But Daniel had told him earlier, keep your rewards. Keep them all because he knew this kingdom was about to end. And I think as King Belshazzar was putting the stuff on Daniel, he heard the swords clashing behind him. He heard the sounds of battle because it says in Daniel chapter 5, that very night, King Belshazzar was killed. He died. Because remember, the Medes and the Persians were surrounding that city with massive walls. And King Belshazzar was not afraid at all. His walls were strong. They had all the water they needed. And they had food for up to 20 years. (laughs) There's nothing to worry. Well, the Persians were smart. And like I said, what ran through the middle of that city was the Euphrates River. And that's beautiful. And it divided the city into two beautiful halves that they could drink out of that river. It was awesome. But that river was also its greatest military weakness. Because the Persians knew, I can't go over that wall 350 feet high with another 100 foot of tower on top of it. I can't go through it. And they've got massive bronze gates. But then somebody came up with the bright idea. Let's dam the Euphrates River. Some people think they besieged the city two to three to maybe up to five months. Well, during that time, they began to slowly divert the flow of the river. They began to dam the river up so that the Euphrates River began to go into a lake off to its side. And slowly, that water level dropped. And historian Herodotus says that on October the 12th, 539 BC, that very night, when that handwriting on the wall occurred, that very night, Belshazzar is killed as that water drops, 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 drops. And finally, in come the Persians. Now, maybe the water was up to their waist and they could walk in before, you know, it had been way over their heads. Or maybe it was all the way down to their knees. But they dammed the river, diverted the flow of water enough so that they sent in special squads. And they started to fight and to kill some guards. And then they, they burst the gates open and in come the Persians from the north. And then they ran down and opened the other gates. And in come the Persians from the south. And they were so dependent on their walls, they had never thought of lowering the river Euphrates. The historians say they took Babylon with hardly a fight. On that day, King Belshazzar was numbered, numbered, weighed, and his kingdom divided. Ultimately, Daniel, it's amazing to me, he just does the right thing, you know? And because he does the right thing, he is not afraid to stand before kings. He is not afraid to stand before men who could destroy him at the snap of a finger. He's not afraid. But the ultimate message of this story is found in Daniel chapter 5, verse 23. Daniel's giving that speech he gave to King Belshazzar. He says, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And you've brought in the vessels of this house, 
and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and here's the key, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Because you have not honored the one true God, your days are numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. King Nebuchadnezzar, he finally understood. I've got to honor the true God. It took years to get there. And maybe again, King Belshazzar, he could have repented at this point. But you know what? He was too arrogant. He flouted himself in front of the face of God. And God says, you know what? Because you have not honored me, in whose hand is your breath, in whose are all your ways, you're being numbered, numbered, weighed, divided, because you do not honor the one true God. And I want to encourage you, you know, and I have to stop and think about that in my own life. Am I honoring the one true God? Do I let the things of this world take me away from honoring the one true God? Do I spend time with him in devotions and talking with him and praying and listening and studying? Or do I let the media and the cool things of this world, what First John talks about, the pride of life, the flesh of the world, do I let that stuff so fill my mind instead that I begin to push God to the perimeters where I'm not honoring him at all? And it makes me think, for any ruler ruling today, I'd encourage you, honor God. Because he raises up kings and he tears them down. And those of you who are Christians, we can be so encouraged, right? That if we honor his son, Jesus, and say, you know what? I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. I'm going to, I'm going to put my loyal trust in him and no one else. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. I'm going to trust him. And then we can be like Daniel and say, I'm trusting God. I'm not going to worry about this king and what he can do to me. I'm not going to worry about this law and this edict and what others say about me. And I may be pushed off to the side in this world, but I know if I put my faith and trust in Jesus and say, you know what? I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. I don't have to worry. It's those guys that have to worry. It's those guys that have to worry that their days are numbered, that they've been weighed and found wanting, that their lives will be divided. And I pray today that you will choose in whatever stage of life you're in, from kid to adult to teenager to old person, that you will choose to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to renew that commitment. I'm going to follow him no matter what. I'm not going to let this world rob me from following God. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you'd like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week. 